0: Welcome to Sunspots, where we highlight the many ministries and missions happening on the surface of the sun. That is, the Synod of the Sun. A region of the Presbyterian Church USA, we are Presbyterians in Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas with dynamic and hopeful ministry happening in the name of Jesus Christ. Sunspots are caused by interactions with the Holy Spirit, somewhat like the cap on a soda bottle. Shake it up, and you can generate a big eruption. Happening throughout the 11 Presbyteries in the Synod, with intense Holy Spirit activity, when that energy is released, solar flares and big impact can erupt from sunspots. Our prayer is that you find inspiration, community, and connection in the sun. My name Valerie Young. I serve as the Synod Leader and Stated Clerk for the Synod of the Sun, and I'll be your host. So let's get started. In today's episode, we'll revisit the 2017 Imagine event. Sponsored by the Synod, this event brought together Presbyterians from across the region around common missions and ministries. This particular talk is given by the Reverend Richard Mize and is entitled, Facing Racism and Racists Anonymous. Reverend Richard Mize is a bivocational minister, ordained in the United Church of Christ, and serves as halftime pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He is standing in the Kansas Oklahoma Conference of the UCC and also as an ordained ministerial partner in the Oklahoma region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Richard's work is inspiring and this is one of the best Imagine talks we've heard. He shared what it was like as a racist, what happened, and what it's like now in Racist Anonymous. Let's listen.
1: Hello. Hello. I'm Richard I'm a recovering racist. What that means in a nutshell is I grew up where I did and when I did in rural eastern Oklahoma where I didn't question the dominant culture or the things I saw on TV that I mistook for reality. I wasn't a lyncher. I wasn't a person to beat people up. But you know what? I have a great... Great grandfather who served out of Arkansas in 1st Arkansas Cavalry, and I was proud of him, still am. have no evidence that he was ever a slave owner. I was a member of the Sons of Confederate Veterans for about a year, right before, in about 2001, they really turned south, pardon the expression, and became really a, a neo secession organization. Uh, that was bubbling up at the time, and I didn't know it, but I joined, and as soon as I saw that, I couldn't have anything to do with that. I didn't square with what I'd heard in the church growing up. But I still flew that damned old flag of the rebellion, as it's called, and I didn't give a damn who it offended. You know, just proud Southern okey. I had the bumper sticker, and when I was 16, actually, my first car was a 70 Dodge Charger, like the Dukes of Hazzard, of all things, and I actually went to Radio Shack and bought an electronic horn that played Dixie. Well, up through my 40s, I just didn't care that it offended folks. And uh, before I go 10 minutes into my 15 minutes uh, with personal testimony, it was a personal experience with another man, a black man, that was the tipping point that got me to take the flags down and to furl them forever. And uh, it was, a, of all things, it was a rebel flag key fob. Ask me later if you want to know that story. But, but it caused me to repent. And that's the only word for it. I repented of not caring so uh, here I am now as the recovering redneck, white rural Oklahoma pastor of an urban, mostly African American church in the hood, and they'll tell you that, in northeast Oklahoma City. God is alive. <laughs> Trinity, uh, the church house where it meets, was, a, was founded as Creston Hills Presbyterian in 1945. In 1960, uh, white, uh, black folks were moving north. White folks were moving out ahead of them. A black church five miles southeast of us, Bethany Presbyterian, was decimated as its folks were moving into the, the parish, which is, was now around the current church, and the white folks were moving out. Both churches were weak. Both without a session. The Presbyterian took them over and, with some fits and starts, merged the churches, a black church and a white church, in 1960. Yeah, and I always repeat that, in 1960, God is alive. The Washington Presbytery had two or three people. Uh, honestly, it was two or three leaders that stepped out and made this made this happen. The white church wanted to move off and start another one, and they wouldn't let them. So, five weeks before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said what he said about 11 o'clock on Sundays being the most segregated hour in American life, which is still true, although not as much, thank God. Five weeks before that, these two churches came together. <coughs> Clara Looper, who's a local luminary in civil rights and leader of the uh, NAACP youth was in the streets, in the lunch counters in downtown Oklahoma City at that time, and this church came together. Anyway, that's all great history. Part of the backdrop for me getting that church on the National Register of Historic Places, I've done that before with the Church for Architecture, and I'm going to get this one on for its history. I've got it uh, uh, written up and kicked back to edit, and I'm at that stage. So it's going to happen, I believe. Trinity meets now with about 25, well, exactly 25.6 per Sunday on average over the past 12 months because I am a head counter and they abuse me for that, but I always stand at the pulpit and count the people present, including the pianist, myself, any kids, any elder that shows up after worship for the session meeting. I say, let anything that has breath praise the Lord and be counted. (laughs) And so I always do. I don't have any props. I thought about doing in a PowerPoint, but you know the beauty of what we're doing with Racists Anonymous in its various iterations is it only takes three things. So remember this. Bathe it in prayer. If you do anything to do with race, bathe it in prayer. It takes this, coffee. And it takes blessing. So those are my props. Pray. Have some coffee or something to drink and have your ears tuned. Be willing to speak, but minimally. This is more important. Late in 2016, I saw what Ron Buford, the Reverend Ron Buford was doing at his Congregational Church in Sunnydale, California, and it was racist Anonymous, and he's an African-American pastor for Mustard White Church. And he has an AA meeting that meets in his church. And he was passing by one day and it just dawned on him, you know. There, that approach could work with uh, lots of things, including racism. And he sees racism as a disease, as a societal disease, and an individual disease. And so he started using a 12-step approach. He calls it now a second congregation. Uh, there's some overlap, but there's not as much overlap uh, in his worship community and in this uh, group that meets once a week. If you know anything about AA... The heart of it uh, is, uh, to me, uh, well, let me back up. My experience with 12-step was with Al-Anon 20 years ago when I was in love with a crack addict. who was in recovery and then quit being in recovery, and she was going to Narconon and Al-Anon. But my personal experience was, was with Al-Anon, same principle. How? H-O-W. Be honest, be open, be willing to share, to listen. And when you share, don't judge, don't correct, don't argue, just shut up and listen. And so those are the principles for sharing when it comes to a 12-step program. Well, that's what Ron was doing with, uh, with, uh, with racism. He opened it up also, though, to extend to any physical thing that would cause you to judge others. In his personal example, and he said this in some news stories, he had a particularly hard time overcoming negative reactions to Asian women drivers.
0: <laughs>
1: that's honest. And it's funny, but it's true. And this is a black man in California from Ohio. He's telling me this. So I thought, this is right up our alley because Trinity, Trinity has this legacy of integration and of active work in social justice, particularly racial justice. It's been so small and it's been pastorless for several years. And so it's kind of not been active, but they still held together. The session held it together. They came together to pray. They would have a word even without a pastor for quite a bit. When I saw the opportunity, not looking for a full time pastor, uh, and having been called to borders, as far as I'm concerned, and I saw the border that was present there, and I'm called to borders because Christ stands at all borders and and invites us to cross or commands us to tear them down, depending on my mood. But anyway, it's a great opportunity for, for me to have uh, to, to live into what I think is my call and, and, and what is this church's legacy. But you know what? A black man in charge or rather really leading a mostly white church is a different thing than a white man leading a mostly African-American church in the African-American part of Oklahoma City. So the dynamic is totally different. I couldn't imagine a mostly African-American group coming together and saying, I'm Joe and I'm a racist. I just couldn't imagine it as a white man saying that. Now, I learned some things along the way, but at the time, I thought, we can't. I can't do that. They wouldn't stand for it. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, rather, I opened it up to be like uh, an open AA meeting and an Al-Anon meeting at the same time in the same place. So if it were alcoholism... The AA AA meeting would be for you as you struggle and deal with your own alcoholism, and the Al-Anon is for you as you struggle with someone else's alcoholism. And if you're both meeting at the same time in the same place and it's racism, there's not a person on the planet, at least on this continent, that couldn't participate in that if they're honest. Because every one of us is either dealing with our own embedded racism that's unexamined or dealing with it in somebody else individually or systemically in the country at large. So I thought it was a good idea to open wide up to make it wide open like that. And so it did. We met for 10 weeks. It's about all we can stand at a time is 10 weeks because it is exhausting. And we average about 16 people. Uh, And for a church that averages 25.6 on a Sunday to have 16 come to a Wednesday night thing that's not fun, that's hard, I'm I'm pretty proud and pretty impressed with those statistics. And about half of them weren't part of the church. And about a third of them were white. Need some more white folks in here. But that's what turned out for the first time. And that was called racism and racists anonymous. I took a break off last summer. This fall, I did it again. Using the curriculum of the PCUSA, facing racism. I doctored the program a little bit. It was an hour at the time last time. This time when we just finished 10 weeks of this. 45 minutes of guided discussion, me following the curriculum of the Facing Racism program, but rearranged, because I wanted to start, I wanted to make sure that people not part of the church would get something out of it. That curriculum is written for the church, and so it's heavy on the scripture from front end. Well, I reversed all that, I kinda bunch of them. I got people in there that didn't want necessarily anything to do with the church, but they wanted to hear about how to cope with racism. So we talked about systemic stuff, mass incarceration, Immigration I and mean, all these things uh, uh, overlap, and the differences in uh, bigotry and prejudice and racism. But then I loaded up all the scripture at the end, so about the last two or three meetings, we was having church, <laughs> you know, and much to the surprise of a few of the people. Uh, but we had 16 for that too. Again, the breakdown was about the same. Half of them weren't members of the church, and it found out either from the news stories that I had planted in the press, because I am part of the press agency, or uh, it was word of mouth. And again, not enough white folks, but about a third, sometimes up to barely a half. But the value is talking about these things when black folks and white folks are in the same room and just hearing the same stuff that we all know about institutional racism. If you're a white man hearing it and there's black people there, it's different than if it's a bunch of white folks sitting in a room. It's just different. You know, I meant to say this at first. I dreamed last night I was running around looking for a stole I <laughs> what? <laughs> and I thought, because I'm, the Word's are going to be preached in the stories that I tell today. Because if you're talking about these things, the Word of God is there. And I believe even talking about talking about these things, the Word of God goes out. The Gospel is going out. And so I felt like I needed to have the because I figured I was going to wind up preaching. Prophet Isaiah says what? The Word of the God will not, God's word will not come back to God void. So I believe that's going on anytime that you're talking about these hard things, uh, especially with uh, black folks and white folks in the same room. I have totally ignored my <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't really easy for me to, uh, to get this thing going in the first place. Uh, my session is uh, some civil rights veterans. They paid their dues, and they'll tell you, we were out in the streets in the 60s. We'll let the young kids do this. They, they support black lives matter, but they're not going to go stand out in the sun, they say. (laughs) And the millennial few that we have and the the ones in the 40s, they don't seem to get it. And those of us who know our history and are just a little bit older with the election are scared you're fixing to find out if you haven't already, you know. And uh, so far, nothing, the worst things haven't happened, but I'm still not convinced we're not getting in a bad direction. So the session said uh you know after me pitching it and praying it and preaching it uh, we're going to pitch it to the congregation <laughs> so they had a congregational vote on it i was convinced it wasn't going to pass and when it did nobody was more surprised than me and at that point i had this uh, i had this moment where uh well okay i was a bouncer once back in another life and i was in a crowd that went out of control and I lost my feet and I didn't hit the floor because it was such a packed, crowded mob. I was, me, 250 pounds at that time, I was carried. Well, I had to reverse of that. I felt like uh, it wasn't me making these decisions, I'm not to get all charismatic on your pen cost or anything, but I really felt like I was being carried by the Holy Spirit in this process. Succeed, fail, anger. Well, I felt like I was right where I need, and I still do right this minute. Whatever we do, whether it works or fails by our standards, this is God's work. It work in my church. And I'm so to share that with you. Uh, this is amazing. I preach from a manuscript. You know, I'm just, I don't know how to do this. I can't read. i reading in this. And it can get awkward, let's be honest. Oh, I know, I know. I had a couple of things I wanted to say for sure. One of the first set of meetings, we had an older African-American man who had done research. He knew what racism was. And he denied that anything that he heard me talking about was racism. And I was put in an ungodly position of having to defend my former racism. <laughs> because it does, it does help define who I perceive myself to be. Again, that rebel flag is damaging people, and I held on to it as an idol. All right, and so when I when I furled it and took it down, and I repented, that's a deep part of my experience. Now he could quibble over what whether we call that racism or not, but he just denied that it was racism, and uh, we were not very cordial to one another. We weren't—I mean, it was, you know, church and stuff—but I we just weren't very cordial, cordial to one another. Um, Another, human, another glimpse of the humanity that comes out of this uh, we've shared. I was remembering that my uncle, one of my older uncles, had a Texaco station out in the country back when the man wore the star and they wore the uniforms. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I remember that there was a, uh, I was born in 64, so this was about 1969 or 70. I'm five or six, and I noticed there's bathrooms inside, and there's one out there on the back corner. Well, I do not know what that was. The signs were down by 69 or 70. And you know, as a young adult, or maybe even in my 30s, you know, how you look back in your experience, and you see what you didn't see. I realized what I was seeing was the the cover bathroom, and I shared. Now, I, I shared that experience, and one of my older ladies said, and they were colds too. You can't read that book. You can't get it deeply in the movie. But it was profound what was communicated in just that observation in that kind of place, in that kind of space which we had arranged to be safe. One of the things that embarked from AA was what is said here in the group meeting and member-to-member member must be held in confidence. Who you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, it must stay here. Only this way can we feel free to say what's in our minds and hearts, for this is how we help one another. And then the other thing I added for the second set of meetings, and I'm fixing to get yanked with the hook, I can see. But I read this every time, and I was glad that I did sometimes because we weighed, we weighed potentially dangerous waters when we talk about these things. We must assume that each of us has come here honestly and with goodwill. Grace must be freely offered by all for all, as we wade what could be dangerous waters for some. Grace must apply if in the course of sharing such potentially deep and painful experiences someone uses harmful words out of ignorance or unexamined custom or uncorrected habit. Grace must apply because even when your heart's in the right place, if you're 53 or you're 62, you say words because you've used them your whole life that have had evolving meanings and they break hearts and they make people mad. But if you're in a place where you're calling out grace then you can work through that and it is wonderful and it is beautiful and i've again totally ignored my notes i'll be glad to talk to anybody later about this my emails and uh book i don't have any props to leave with anybody but i do have some materials i can email if anybody's interested
0: trinity presbyterian church hasn't met since march because of the pandemic They believe that as long as the coronavirus is out of control, it's the Christian thing to do. Worship is live on Facebook at 10.55 a.m. on Richard Mize's personal Facebook page. That is Richard Mize, M-I-Z-E. Still, the congregation has not been idle. Members help get groceries to the needy. Others have joined racial justice protests, and as a congregation, over the summer, Trinity took advantage of a match to donate nearly $2,000 to the Black Lives Matter National Organization. I hope you've been enjoying this episode of Sunspots. Most of us, especially in these times, need to hear more about the work of the Spirit, places where the energy has caused a solar flare and made a big impact. It could be in your local congregation, your presbytery, or any ministry context, Send that good news and ministry ideas to the Synod at sunspots at synodsun.org. In the Synod of the Sun, we believe when we work together across boundaries, we make visible the good news and find wholeness as the body of Christ. In our common calling, we impact lives together. So let's remember to connect with, equip, and empower one another in the name of Jesus Christ today and every day.